morning, everyone. We welcome you here in the main sanctuary in Brown Chapel and wherever you may be listening uh, with our live stream. We are delighted that you are here. We're going to jump right into word number 12, the word assurance. Uh, we've been in a study of great words of the Christian faith as part of our fullness series. You've noticed in the card uh, every week we add uh, a definition. And the definition for assurance today is assurance is the inner certainty that God will complete the process of salvation that began in us when we received Christ. So we're celebrating assurance today. Let's continue our worship as we look to the screen and pray together as we do each week the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive them that trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And Lord, we join our hearts together in this prayer. We join with Christians all around the world that are praying this today. We also join together and say amen to Justin's leading in prayer as we pray for our nation. Father, we're asking in the next little bit that we've got together that you would let something come alive in us. Let it be real and powerful. Let it be something that the world can't give and therefore the world cannot take away. Thank you for the assurance that we have in the name, the strong name, the name above every name, the name of Jesus. We ask this for your glory. Amen. Amen. I have a treasure here with me today. Uh, and it's not my Bible. It's, of course, that's our ultimate treasure of, uh, of books. But this is the church hymnal that was used in my home church. My mom used to lead worship. And as I was growing up, you've heard me tell about that. There's beautiful inscription she wrote just before she passed and so special. My mom, some of you knew her, um, Mama to family members that are listening, and Sister Chitty to some of that home church congregation like the Mizells and others that listen with us weekly. But um, it, I, I, at least it was the case with me. I don't know that it was by design, but I think I learned as much theology from the song service as I did Sunday school or preaching. And I learned a lot from my pastor. I learned a lot in Sunday school class, in youth service. Uh, the Pentecostal movement grew out of the Methodist tradition. And the Methodists, because of John and Charles Wesley, were known for powerful theological songs that they put together. And it was part of the heritage of the Methodist church and also the Pentecostal church. I learned so much. And um, uh, I, I say you knew my mom, many of you did. She passed away in 2005. Um, I was so honored. I always wanted to be able to pastor my mom and dad. Um, and my daddy passed, but we brought my mom up here and I was her pastor. The problem was she was uh, well into dementia at that time. She never understood that I was the pastor. She always thought Justin was the pastor. <laughs> 
And um, Justin, am I telling the truth? You had to hug her on average of 12 times a Sunday because she couldn't remember the hug that she had gotten. And she loved Justin. And she was so thankful for Justin because even though Justin was the pastor, now the reason you thought that in our tradition growing up, the pastor always started the service. So the first person up was pastor. Justin always began the service. And she said to Justin one time that she was so thankful that even though my boy is just the Sunday school superintendent, <laughs> that you let him preach whenever he feels he has a burden from the Lord. So my mom went to heaven thinking that I was just a good Sunday school superintendent and that Justin was a great pastor. So what can I say? What can I say? She might have been smarter than I know. But uh, there's a song that was among my mom's favorites. I, 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 want to, I want to write a little devotional book one day, just maybe a 30 devotions. Um, we're working on a devotional book right now from Life Matters, but um, I, I'd like to write a book of just my mom's 30 favorite songs and what they meant to her and why. One of them is in your notes, I think it's on the last page, I Know Whom I Have Believed, written by Daniel Whittle in 1883. And um, I love this song. My mom, it was one of her favorites, and apparently it meant more to her than I understood for the longest because I don't remember a time that she led the song that at some point she wasn't weeping as she led the song. And it was a mystery to me during my elementary years, because as I said, I learned so much from the songs, but it was not a song that was teaching me in my mind. It was a song that was confusing me because all five verses began with, I know not, I know not. And I had have always been a learner and I wanted to tap into what I know. But they sang, I know not. And I would get so confused with that that I didn't pay attention to the chorus, to the refrain, which I'll share with you in just a moment. But if you want to look at that for just a moment, I want to explain why we're going to talk about assurance this way. Um, verse one, I know not why. Now, all of these things are things that I could understand and I did understand or would understand. The mysteries are still mysteries, but I just wasn't used to a song that focused on I know not. Um, I know not why God's wondrous grace to me he hath made known, nor why unworthy Christ in love redeemed me for his own. I know not. So I'm thinking the next verse ought to tell me why but I know not why. I know not, there's a typo in your notes, I'm sorry. I know not how this saving faith to me he did impart, nor how believing in his word wrought peace within my heart. I know not why, and I know not how. Now, actually, these were teaching great mysteries of the faith, but I didn't see it at first. Verse three, I know not how, the Spirit moves, convincing men of sin, revealing Jesus through the Word, creating faith in Him. I know not why. I know not how. I know not how. And verse 4, I know not what. 
of good or ill may be reserved for me, of weary ways or golden days before his face I see. Well, I think I'll begin to get some answers by verse 5. And by the way, we always sing first, second, and last verse. We always skip three or a four. But this is the one song my mom sang every verse. I know not when, here's another mystery. I know not when my Lord may come at night or noonday fair, nor if I'll walk the veil with him or meet him in the air. So there I am, a 10, 11, 12-year-old boy saying I'm in worship with a bunch of people that know nothing. Why are they crying? Is it because they know nothing? No. I was always trying to figure out the verses and for the longest, I don't know how long it took, but I missed the chorus. I know not why, I know not how, I know not what, I know not when, and here's the chorus. But I know, I do know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed to him against that day. A lot of times we get stuck on the verses, things that we believe are true, but too mystical, too wonderful, too glorious to understand. And we get in that sand pit and just spin our wheels because of what we don't understand. But what my mom, I look back now, what I see her teaching, what I see the church understanding, and it seemed that the older you were, the more squalling you did during that song, the more crying because you'd walked so far. There are things that I may not understand because I haven't grown into it. There are things I may not understand because I haven't been taught well. There are things I may not understand because my faith is so young. But in the midst of all of the storm, the confusion, the uncertainty, the distraction, even hopelessness, in the midst of all that I do not know, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed to him against that day. My mom and that church did a good job, even though I was a slow learner, of teaching the next generation that you may not have all the answers you want. You may not have all the information you want. You may not have all the solutions to all the mysteries that you'd like to have. But they put this in my heart, what I don't know, I can lean on him. That's not shallow intellectual thinking. That's not needing a crutch. Although if Jesus is a crutch, I'll take two. <laughs> it's saying there's something to the Christian faith that goes beyond our ability to wrap our heads around it. And it's that thing called assurance. Now, of the 13 words that we will deal with, well, we've dealt with 11. This is number 12. Next week will be the last one, the glorification. But um, of all the words that we've dealt, this is the one that seems to be the least concrete because it has to do with the idea of believing something that's hard to believe. But I want to say this to begin with. Assurance is not something you and I can put on the table. Assurance is not something you and I can produce. 
Assurance is the gift of the indwelling Holy Spirit. It is an inner confidence that comes from Him that God is able to keep the promises that He made and God is willing to keep the promises that He made and God has promised to complete the process that He began in us at salvation. But it's not you becoming convinced, although there is a part we have to, to, to play. It is a work of the Holy Spirit, and it's called the witness of the Spirit. Paul put it this way, His Spirit, when we come to Jesus, His Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. It's an inner assurance, it's a knowing that is the gift of God. Now, you say, well, pastor, does that mean if I have questions that I'm not really saved? No, 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 quite the opposite. I'm saying that we live in a world of senses that tells us to believe what our senses can prove, but we have passed from death into life and we've moved into a kingdom, we need to understand this, where we don't live by the senses of this world. Now, it doesn't mean we ignore them. If, if, if you feel you put your hand on something that's burning your hand, don't ignore your feelings. Move your hand. But we understand that the kingdom of God is not based on our senses. And our security, if you want to use that word, is not based on our understanding. Now, we need to understand. We need to study to show ourselves approved unto God. We need to be able to give reason for the hope that's within us. As Paul and Peter said, I'm not, I'm not denigrating these ideas at all. I'm saying that there has to be something more than what the mind can produce. There has to be something more than you can read in a book or write on a piece of paper or understand with the natural mind. There has to be that inner assurance of the Holy Spirit. Now, let me tell you what I want to do today, because I know you're sweating, because you look at the notes, and you look at the clock, and you say, my Lord, help us. Well, he will, he will. Um, let me tell you, the last time I tried to preach on assurance, it took me four weeks. So I, I realize what I'm up against. So what I've done is I've taken those four weeks of notes, basically, and put them together. I'm not going to read every verse. I'm not going to cover everything, but I've given you a packet of material so that you can dig in a little deeper on your own. Uh, I am going to be uh, moving at a pretty hefty pace today, but I want to point out the outline to you so you don't have to figure it out while we're going through it. And you'll be able to see if you have time to sit down and just look at the outline, but it might not be obvious to you right now. There are four basic points to the message. And all this is in the notes. You don't need to write this down. But I want to spend a few minutes talking about the promise of assurance. I want you to know there is a promise that we can have assurance. But I also want to spend a few minutes talking about the problem associated with assurance. Now, God has given us assurance. It's a promise. But there are things that fight against assurance. And we want to talk about those problems for just a few moments. We want to talk about 
how we can know that our assurance is real. There are three tests of assurance, and, and we call this the proof of assurance. And number four, the promise of assurance, the problem, the proof. And I want to wrap up the last section with a, with a question. What about perseverance? What do we mean by perseverance? That is our pursuing of the Lord. Um, we are saved by grace through faith, but then we are given to a life of good works. The good works never become meritorious in the sense that it earns salvation. But there is the idea of perseverance where we are created to do good works, not in order to get saved, but because we are saved. We are saved. You and I have to be careful of that subtle trap. I've said this over and over again. We Pentecostals have a tendency, not in our theology on paper, but in our lived out theology, we have a tendency to believe we're saved by grace, but we stay saved by works. And it's not that way at all. But there is the reality of, of uh, perseverance, of pursuing the Lord, of walking in obedience. So we're going to talk about those four basic things today. Um, oh, where do I go here? Let's, let's start here. Page one's a good place to start. Um, let me give some verses. I'm, again, most of these verses I won't read. I'll just point you to them. But there are three here at the beginning that we must read. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That means when Jesus returns and establishes his kingdom, it could also have um, an implication of our death when we go to heaven. But God, he, he said, I want you to have confidence of this. And confidence in the New Testament is such an amazingly strong word. He said, you can bet your bottom dollar on this. That Jesus, who began the good work in you and is, and is carrying it out through the ministry of the indwelling Holy Spirit, it will be faithful to bring it to completion. Construction will be completed. Construction will be completed. 2 Peter 1.10. You know, it was Ruth Graham that used to say, please be patient. God isn't finished with me yet. I'm under construction. And if you go to her grave, I think it's magnificent. As her name, the date, construction finished. And uh, that's a good thing. God's able. 2 Peter 1.10. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. You know, how do we confirm? You say, well, pastor, that sounds like works. Well, when he says make every effort to confirm, he's saying Whatever you do, make every effort to keep feeding into this assurance. Understand, no matter what you face, keep leaning into the assurance. Your works don't save you, but you need to lean into assurance. Paul put it this way in Romans 12. He said, I want you to be transformed, not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He said, for if you do these things, you will never stumble. Oh, I used to read that as a young Christian, and I'd think of these things, these things. And I, I thought he was saying, if I could do number one, two, three, four, and five, I would never stumble. But you know what I found out? I found out that even if I did one, two, three, four, and five, I still could stumble. 
I found out that some of my spiritual heroes not only did one, two, three, four, five, but they also did six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Some did 11, 12, and some 13, 14, and 15. And they could still stumble. We're not kept from stumbling by what we do. We're kept from stumbling by confirming our calling and election, by leaning into assurance. When the enemy seems to be prevailing, we say this is not the end of the story. We, we need to remember that uh, during the, the um, uh, Napoleonic Wars, the Battle of Waterloo, there were no cell phones, obviously, no, no electronics whatsoever. And there's a story that from the battlefield on Waterloo, there would be signals um, that would be passed along line of sight from high spot to high spot, giving a report of the battle. And there is a story that says coming across the channel from Europe, from Waterloo to the coast of England, there was a message on a, on a uh, fog shrouded day and it said, Wellington defeated. And it was sent to London. Wellington has been, he was the English general. Wellington has been defeated. Wellington has been defeated. What are we going to do? This is opening the door for Napoleon to come and invade England. And what the story tells us is that in about 45 minutes, when the fog blew away, the signal was still coming. It had not been acknowledged yet. And the, they saw the whole, it didn't say Wellington defeated. It said Wellington defeated Napoleon. Wellington defeated Napoleon. And when we lean into these things, it may look like our general has been defeated. It may look like our cause has been lost. It may look like the promise has been aborted. But sometimes all we have to do is just let the haze clear. Let the fog clear. Let the whole report come in. And if we do that, we'll never stumble. I write these things to you, John said. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Loved ones, God wants us to know that we have eternal life. Now, I have to refer to a struggle that takes place in the church today and it's between a, a doctrine taught by Calvinism and a doctrine taught by Arminianism. And this is not a sermon or series. I, I, I understand Calvinism, I understand Arminianism, but that would take weeks for us to do that. I simply want to say we're from an Arminian background um, that believes, a Calvinism is a background that believes once you are saved, you're always saved. I don't have any problem with that. I have problems with the abuse of that. Um, but Calvinism says if you don't persevere and if you're not saved in the end, that just shows you weren't saved to begin with. And it's called the eternal security of the believer. And we tend to think of that as a bad thing when we need to embrace our security in the Lord. But the church is at war. Uh, on this side, they say if you fall away, you were never saved to begin with. Uh, and there are scriptures that indicate that's true in some cases. But on the side of uh, Arminianism. Uh, Arminianism says that it is possible to become apostate. It's possible to trust in the Lord and to walk away and to renounce faith. Um, 
and I have to be fair to the Calvinists in saying this, in the articles of remonstrance that were the defense of Arminianism, they said either through uh, a, a, you know, rebellion, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, you walk away. What's the word? Defection. In the case of defection or careless living, you can lose your salvation. And loved ones, I do believe that defection is possible, but I, I think we need to understand, even though our churches have taught it, we haven't taught it well. We've taught that we can get careless, and because we're careless, we can lose our salvation. Uh, and it's true that one of the words in, in, in the book of Hebrews says that we need to be sure that we don't let these things slip away from us, like a ring that slips off a finger, you know, that, that can be by carelessness. But I don't believe that we are serving a God who, because we get lazy, takes our salvation away. I don't even, if I had to say it this way, I'd say I don't even believe salvation is lost. Salvation can be walked away from, but that's a very grievous, heinous thing, and it's called apostasy. Now, there are reasons to believe that very strongly, just as there are reasons to take the other view. That's beyond what we're going to do today. And we're not, you know, we're not looking for online discussions about Calvinism and Arminianism. We're not, we're not interested in going there. But what I want to focus on today is not once saved, always saved, or the possibility of falling from grace. What I want to talk about is the realization that there is an assurance that every child of God ought to have. I think we fight the wrong battles and draw lines in the wrong places because we think in terms of academics, we think in terms of scholasticism in the West, and we have the, um, you know, we have the Renaissance to, to thank for that. But we, we don't do well with mysticism. We do better with scholasticism. But there is something that's deeper than, than academics. There's something deeper than church membership or theological posture. And it is the idea, am I secure in Christ? That's what we want to talk about today. And our assurance is the inner certainty that God will complete the process of salvation that began in us when we received Christ. Now how, Pastor, why do we have these issues about security? Well, most of us don't know that we couldn't name the five tenets of Calvinism if we had to. And we sure couldn't name the five tenets of the articles of remonstrance if we had to. We were just raised on a very visceral, emotional, ah, that's not true, or that's not true, or they're just sloppy, or they're just legalists. And, you know, the devil is amazing. I, I, I mean, I don't like him. But I, I got to tell you something. He knows how to teach us to draw the lines in the wrong place so that we fight each other viciously. I mean, look at the internet. We, we, we have heresy hunters and we have the uh, accusers. We have whatever you want, you can find online. And we don't even have to look to the world to be persecuted. It's in-house. I mean, I say in-house, I'm talking about the Christian world. It's in-house. And the devil has done a very good job. I hate to give him credit, but he's done a very good job of suckering us into the wrong fights into the, and taking the bait that puts us in wrong places. But this is why we have some issues of, 
about assurance, about the assurance of salvation. In other words, let me be sure I'm saying this so that you understand it. We need to know that no matter what happens around us, we are going to heaven. We need to know that no matter what collapses around us, since God is for us, no one can be against us. We need to know how to stop taking our progress reports from this world and start taking our progress reports from his world. How do we get into that mess to begin with? Well, you see some key points of concern. And, and please be ready. Please, if you haven't buckled up, please, because we're about to accelerate. But um, we, we need to understand that sometimes we have doubts about our salvation because of your hesitation. Uh, either we're weak in our faith or we're just so young in faith. Um, number two, sometimes we doubt our salvation because of uncertainty. We just have our eyes on feelings. And, um, you know, you give your heart to the Lord, you're gloriously saved. But uh, sometimes by Tuesday, you're wondering, did what happened to me on Sunday real? Was it real? You know, my feelings have changed. And um, like I said, what Jesus gives us, he gives us what the world can't give and the world can't take it away. But those, those early days, sometimes it's the glow lasts and lasts and lasts, but sometimes the glow doesn't last long. And we're called early on to, to begin to grow strong in faith and to believe the word. And when you come to Jesus, you don't need to cave into your feelings because the seed of God has come into your life. If you ask Jesus to come into your life and you meant it, you now have the seed of God and it will live. It should never die. It's not going to pass away, but we've got to learn to listen to the voice of that seed instead of the old seed. So, but sometimes it's just uncertainty. We get our eyes on feelings. Um, sometimes it's due to confusion. We were taught the wrong thing growing up. Uh, you know, you could be taught, and you could be on this side of the issue or that side of the issue, and be taught in the wrong way. And still, I know people, whether they're once saved, always saved, or, or not, I, I still know they have terrible doubts with whether or not they're saved because they've not been taught well. They might have been taught right, but they've not been taught well. Um, so there's uncertainty. Then there's uh, confusion. Like I said, just this is what brother so-and-so says, this is what sister so-and-so says, and I'm just getting two things. And I wanna say this, I say it almost weekly, but you've got to remember this, especially to you young Christians. I want to say there will always be somebody that can show you a verse that will throw you into confusion. And they will always appeal to the word of God can't be false. We must believe the word. But God has given us his word with this principle. Doctrine is not built on a verse. Doctrine is built on all of the verses. Because each verse has its context. Each verse has its application. And we have to understand, uh, we have to understand that we, we can't just cherry pick what we want you know, and, and say, you know, that, that, that well, it's very plain in Scripture. It is very plain in Scripture, but it's plain in all of Scripture. So we have to take it that way. Sometimes it's just complexity, just the complexity of life. Um, sometimes life doesn't conform to a three-point sermon. It, it's, it's just life. It doesn't conform to a three-point sermon, and life gets very complex. And 
Sometimes it's tough to live it out because of complexity. And then circumstances. Loved ones, the enemy, I've never known of a time quite like this time. And I know I've said this before and I don't mean to keep hammering it, but I think this is where we are. I, I don't know of a time in my life in, in these United States where we have been hammered, hammered with so many things that bring confusion, bring complexity. I told you years ago that we were coming up on a time, and I think we're here now, when it will be easier for us to believe that we have lost before we begin to believe that we have won. Don't talk about Christianity. Um, I'm, I'm, I, I want to talk to you in two or three weeks whenever I can get to it. Um, I want to talk to you about things that I believe the Lord has warned me that we need to be prepared for. And um, things like persecution have always been theoretical. We pray for the, you know, the voice of the martyrs. We pray for other lands. But I wonder what the church in America will do when standing for truth really begins to cost us. Uh, I think there are some things that the enemy was wanting to use now to eviscerate us and to demoralize us. I've never seen a time when as many good people, I'm not critical because I know we're all in a fight for our lives. I've never seen a time when as many good people say, I love the Lord, I don't want to fail the Lord, but I feel hopeless. And there is an epidemic of hopelessness. And loved ones, we need to understand it's a spiritual attack. It's, it's not what we think it is. It's a spiritual attack. It's a reigning of darkness. But God is walking with us through this to bring us uh, through it with a stronger faith. But we've got to understand when there are circumstances that just seem to just keep pounding you over and over. And you know, when did I sign up for whack-a-mole? You know, just over and over and over. It can cause you to doubt. You say, well, what do I do about it? Well, we learn to get a hold of assurance. That's the only thing I know to do. Because circumstances will always tell you you've lost. Complexities will always tell you it's not fixable. But God is shaking everything that can be shaking. Why does he do it? Do you remember? So that only the unshakable things will remain. And one of the byproducts of, of being shaken is that um, assurance rises to the top. Just like that buttercream rises to the top. Uh, God is, God, I, I, I don't want to make you mad at God, but it could very well be that God has you where you are right now, as you are right now, how you are right now, because he is preparing you for a future so glorious you cannot possibly understand it. And he's shaking everything out of you. You say, well, pastor, that's easy for you to say. You're not being shaken. Oh my word. Loved ones, I guarantee you, all of us, touch your teeth right here, right, right here. These are called your eye teeth, and they're loose. As my daddy used to say, it'll shake your eye teeth out. Well, I now I know what he's talking about. But God is not doing this for us to lose faith. He's causing assurance to rise in us. Now, let me give you two key promises, and then we're going to go into overdrive. Um, the, the key promise is Romans 8, 
38 to 39, he says, I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, things present nor in the future, nor any powers, height, depth, anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That includes whatever's shaking your world right now. It can't separate you. Now you can walk away. I can quit. But all of this stuff that's sent against me, it does not have the power to win. And then this is Paul in writing to Timothy. That is why I'm suffering as I am. He said, look, I'm going, I'm going through hell and high water here. He said, and I'll tell you why I'm suffering. It's because of the name of Jesus. Yet this is no cause for shame. He said, I'm not ashamed. He said, I'm being accused, I'm being blamed, I'm being rattled, I'm being attacked. My very life is at risk. But this is what he said. He said, I'm not ashamed because I know whom I have believed and am convinced or persuaded that he's able to guard that which I've entrusted to him against that day. Now, for, for contextual purposes, to be sure we're because I know we come from different backgrounds to be sure we are saying the same thing. There are, there are key terms of what definition. Number one is a believer. It's a person who's come to faith in Jesus, a Christian, you know, uh, born again. We, we understand what a believer is. Um, number three is apostate. Now, apostasy, I don't believe, as some people teach, that apostasy is the revelation of a false believer. Uh, apostasy, I don't think, is used that way generally. It, it may be in some instances, but to some people, apostasy means, oh, you never believed to start with, and so you fell away. Well, you don't fall away from something you don't possess. You don't fall away from something you don't have. Um, I do believe that apostasy is possible. I think it is exceedingly rare, and I think we better be careful before who we start calling apostates. Uh, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. But I do think that apostasy is possible. What we need to be aware of is that between believer and apostasy, there's another state that we call a backslider. Now, backslider is a person that doesn't mean they're not a Christian anymore, but it means they've grown cold in their faith. They're like the Laodicean church. They've lost their destiny. Backsliding is not a moment, but backsliding is a path Backsliding is an attitude. Backsliding is a persistence in word or thought or deed that's contrary to our calling. Now, when I was growing up, you were either a Christian or you were a backslider. Well, and lost, of course. You were a backslider. And every time somebody did something wrong, we said they were a backslider. And they're not going to heaven, they're going to hell because they've backslidden. Where does that phrase come from? It comes from the Old Testament prophet that said Israel has become like a backsliding heifer in one translation. I love that, a backsliding heifer. I'm waiting for some Christian school to name their team the heifers, you know, or the, the backsliding heifers. But it was a picture of, a, of, a, of, an, uh, of cattle that was trying to climb an incline and that they weren't built to climb. Uh, they, they were, they, they were, would would go a few feet and then they would slide back. They were backsliders. Backslider was used for somebody that had lost their focus, lost their purpose, and was trying to attain to what was good, but was doing it the wrong way and they were just sliding back. 
They're just sliding back. And I believe that we need to guard, of course we need to guard against apostasy, but I don't think apostasy is the problem nearly as much as we see. It's like, it's like the unpardonable sin. I, I do believe the unpardonable sin is a sin that can be committed, um, but that's another sermon for another time, and we will deal with that in, when we deal with fullness. But um, uh, I, I want to tell you, there have been three people in my ministry that I think committed the unpardonable sin. You say, that's a lot. Well, I'm about to find, you know, I was about to find out that is a lot. You know, three people that you think have committed the unpardonable sin. I analyzed it. I researched it. Um, uh, I'm not going to use names or where. No, is nobody in this church. They were all in former places. But I said, yeah, I've, I've come to the conclusion. These people are so evil. Their, their agenda is so vile. Their actions are so reprehensible. Their heart is so hardened. I said, I'm afraid that they have committed the unpardonable sin. And I made a little note in my pastoral papers. I wrote it in code so nobody would find that I had accused them of committing the unpardonable sin. But I wrote them off. I said, these three people, it's through the years. It wasn't all at once. But all three of them, to show you how selfish they are, they messed up my theology by messing around and getting saved. I wouldn't believe one of them was saved. I said, that's a lie of the devil, you know. But I had written them. Listen, you know what I'm saying? I wrote them off for eternity. And they got saved. And became real servants of the Lord, every one of them. So we need to be careful who we write off. But we need to understand that backsliding can be something in all of our lives. Now, let's jump on these things quickly. What are the promises of assurance? Look at your notes, five passages that I just want to refer you to. 1 Thessalonians 1.5 says that when the word comes, it comes with deep conviction. Uh, now, I do believe that there are people who come to church, maybe answer an altar call, maybe join a church, but that does not mean they've been born again because they, it was just like joining a club to them. Um, and I know you've all known people like that, I, but I, I, I don't, it's hard for us to know who has really been saved and who has not without the passing of time. We leave it to the Lord. But there was deep conviction uh, expressed in 1 Thessalonians. In Hebrews 3.14, he said, I want you to hang in there. You're going through tough times, but hold your original conviction firmly to the end. Don't try to remake it. Don't try to reanalyze it. Don't try to go to God 2.0. The original thing that brought you to the cross Hold to it firmly to the end. Paul would tell the Galatians, he said, even if what appears to be an angel of heaven comes and brings you something other than your original conviction, let that thing be accursed because it is not of God. Hebrews 6.11, he says, this hope that you have, and hope, we've talked about this, is not a I hope so. Hope is a conviction, a persuasion that puts no limits of God on God of time or method. We know it's coming. It's the return of Christ is the blessed hope. Salvation itself is, is, is called the hope of salvation. When we wear the armor of God, we wear the helmet of salvation. But Paul called it in speaking to the Romans. He said, for a helmet, the hope of salvation. 
You see, we have the conviction, we have the persuasion that God is working this in our lives. And it's something that is called assurance. In uh, Hebrews 10, um, faith brings full assurance. That gives us the idea that it can increase. It doesn't mean that you're not saved for a while. It doesn't mean that you are kind of saved but grow into full salvation. No, it's our understanding that we grow in, and it gives us full assurance. And Colossians talks about the full riches, and so there, there are other verses. There, are, there, are, there is plenty of evidence, I have not even begun to scratch the surface, that God intends for us to have full assurance that we are saved. But there are problems that we have to deal with. Um, Whenever we deal with assurance, we find that people, because they haven't studied it thoroughly, they run the risk of getting out of balance. For instance, we teach Christians should have assurance, but a lot of people have taken that assurance and turned it into arrogance. It's one thing to say, I know whom I have believed, and I know he's able, he's going to complete what he started, no man can take, pluck me out of his hand, I'm I'm secure in Christ. That's assurance. Arrogance says, ain't nobody going to pluck me out of God's hand. Ain't no church going to tell me how to live. Well, you're saying the right words, but you just, you're about to rupture a vein in your forehead. Our goal is assurance, not arrogance. We also need to understand that we should have confidence. I know I'm secure in him. Confidence but not complacency. Confidence does not mean that I don't care. You know, I just, I don't care. James Robinson told his little grandson one time, he came over to Papa's house and he said, you know, we, 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 the grandchild had been there obviously, but now he's old enough. He says, he takes his grandchild by the hand, walks him around the pool and says, baby, this is a place where we can have a lot of fun. He gave him this great lecture about the pool. But he said, I need you to understand this. This can also be a dangerous place if you're not careful. He said, I want you to understand something. This child was old enough to understand it. He said, if you break the rules and fall in the pool, he said, I'm going to jump in and get you out. But I don't want you breaking the rules. He says, baby, I, I want you to understand that if you even are mad, at Papa and go in the pool when I tell you not to go into the pool I'm still going to jump in and grab you out he said you may be careless and just not look where you're going and fall in the pool and Papa will go get you and pull you out and he said all of this stuff and Papa will pull you out but then he got down on his knees and took his little grandson's hand in his face and he said but look at me baby if you ever get in the pool and I'm not around there's nothing I can do. He said, what you've got to understand, the number one rule is stay with Papa. Don't ever get around the pool without Papa. And guys, we need to understand that we can have confidence that whatever happens, he will rescue us. But we need to have an awareness of the seriousness of sin. We need to have an awareness of pulling away from Papa. I, you know, we talked about sanctification last week. I, I want the church to understand one thing God is doing is he is rattling us 
He is rattling us to help us know that sin is a serious thing with consequences in this life and the next more so than we've ever thought. I've never seen a time when I think God was shaking us for our carnality and our wicked behavior and our carelessness and our evil intent. I, I say we, I'm not, I'm not about all of us, all of his children. We're all sheep and we're all getting shaved. And we're going to have to learn, yes, his grace is sufficient. His security is wonderful. We have confidence in that. But I need to pay attention. Let those who name the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. And God is restoring the fear of the Lord in his church, in your homes, and in your lives. The third thing is we need to have persuasion but not presumption. And by persuasion, I mean we need to be convinced. We need to step up and have a firmer, stronger belief in our security in Christ than ever before. Whether you believe in once saved, always saved, or you don't. We, I'm calling us to step up to believing I am secure in the Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation is not something that I lose because I got mad at somebody in traffic one day, called them a name. We need to understand that we are secure, but that security, that persuasion does not run into presumption where we say, I'll live any way I want to live. The problem is, it seems that the church is full of people that either have too little assurance or too much assurance. And we need to find that middle ground. There are two sides of the same coin. Uh, salvation is a gift, but we are called to stewardship. See, we don't think multi-planed the way God does. So we think, well, it's either by faith or it's by works. But God, this is God's teaching. This isn't the perversion of a church. God's teaching says it's totally by grace. It's totally through faith. But I am giving you a stewardship to walk this out. Now, what's the proof of assurance? Well, y'all have wasted so much time on the other stuff. I don't have much time left. But let me say this because I want to get you out before noon. Here's the proof of assurance. Number one, we need to understand the answer lies with God. Um, I don't know why it has suddenly become so important to us to somehow prove that we have the right to judge everybody beyond rebuke. There are people that I think are lost as a goose in a snowstorm but they may be journeying to Jesus and I just can't see it. Oh, I think there are other proofs. We'll talk about that. There are people that I think are doing fine, but they're not walking according to the Lord. And I think one of the things God's doing as he assures us of salvation, he's first assuring us that we have not got salvation. Some of us. And some of you that have been, had your name on church role for years. I may be talking to someone in the live stream that you're a, you're a charter member of the church, but you have not lived the Christian life. You've got a membership card. You may even have a title, but you don't have a testimony. The proof of assurance, the answer lies with God, but there are three things and we can't create a list. I'm not trying to create a list, but I'm saying three things will show up in your life. You've got the pages 
and I'm, I'm not going to go over those pages with you. We're about to go to, to, to part four. Uh, the three tests are if a person has salvation, they will believe the scriptures. Not a cafeteria approach, not a re, you know, deconstruction of God so that we have God 2.0. Um, in 2 Thessalonians 2, in Romans 1 and 2, Paul makes it clear, God turns you over to a reprobate mind so that you believe a lie and are damned. Why? Because in both passages, they refuse the knowledge of the truth. It is a dangerous thing to be presumptuous and say, I will take on theology and I will make it palatable. I will make it discernible. I will make it what it ought to be, what it was meant to be. That's a dangerous thing to do. There is a test of belief. And people that serve the Lord, they will have their lives rooted in Scripture. Uh, number two, again, the Scriptures are there. A person that is truly in possession of the assurance of salvation, not only do they believe, but they also obey they also obey. Now, every one of us disobeys at some time. Every one of us disobeys at some time. Sometimes it's just so hard to obey. Sometimes we don't want to disobey, but it's hard. Is that one of my children? Don't touch that. Don't touch that. We've had this conversation, baby. Don't touch that. And you know what they do? They did. Because if their fingers didn't make contact, they weren't touching it. But they were going to make contact. None of us have perfect obedience. But I tell you what, John, especially in those John verses, writes out, he says a person that's been born again is going to do the right thing. They're going to do the truth. So I want to ask you, are you believing Scripture? Are you obeying Scripture? And here's the third test, the test of fellowship he says, if we love one another, God lives in us. He said, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister still in the darkness. Loved ones, I realize that we're human and there are going to be people we just don't get along with. Now, hopefully it's not your spouse. But there may be people in church that you just don't get along with. What do I do about it, Pastor? Sit on the other side. You know, sit on the other side of church. Come to the other service. I don't know. Ask God to help you work through it. I mean, there's, there's a half dozen suggestions, but there's a difference between having the normal give and take in a relationship and, and pulling out of community. John said something that I guess every preacher is used to get mad at somebody for leaving his church. He said, you know, they went out from us. That's how we know they were never of us because they left us. And that has been used to beat people upside the head. I don't think, I think Christians leave all the time the, the church is, whatever church it is. Maybe it's for a good reason. Maybe it's for a bad reason. Maybe it's for them to come back home later. I don't know. But it is true. And John was talking about there is a truth in this. Not everybody that leaves is lost. But if somebody is saved, they will stay. Now, I, I know that sounds contradictory, but it's the nature of a child of God to come back into community. 
It's, it's the nature. It's the call of God to come back into community. I'm not talking about people that watch online because they can't get here. I'm not talking about people that watch online because they're sick or, 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 don't, or, or are afraid of getting sick. I'm not, we're not fighting that old battle. But I'm saying this, beware of any posture that you want to claim the best of Jesus, but you want the church to go its own way. You might have to find another church. You might have to find a church that's more to your liking. Every church has its own personality, and churches can't be everything to everybody. I'm not talking about that. Not everybody belongs here. But, I mean, I'm sure I'm not talking to any of y'all. No, seriously. Some people, because we do things the way we do, they're not going to be happy in our church. They're trying to follow Jesus in our church because we're such a clash of personality with them, it'd be better to find another church. But I, I don't take issue with that. We might get our feelings hurt over it, you know. Um, and, and I think every pastor is hurt when people leave, even if they say it's not you, uh, you know, because the pastor says, well, it was fine until I got here, you know. So <laughs> what has changed? But seriously, what I'm trying to say is that part of the assurance is that you will believe the word, you will obey the word, and you will find community. You will find community. Now, what about perseverance? Let me wrap it up with this. You see four things in your notes. Here are four things that you can build your assurance on. Number one, God is faithful. God is faithful. It's a message of certainty. You see those five verses that I gave you that says God is faithful. God's not yes and no, but God is yea and amen. He is faithful and he who promised will do it. He is faithful. You, you are secure. Listen to me, loved ones. You are secure not because of your pastor. You are secure not because of the assemblies of God. You are secure not because of your own merit. You are secure because God has made you secure. And he wants you to have that assurance. The second thing that you can build upon is that we need to understand there is a path of growth. None of us understand it all at the beginning. None of us get it all at the beginning. We get salvation in its fullness. If you were to die five seconds after asking Jesus into your heart, if you were to die in process of asking Jesus into your heart, you're going to heaven. You have nothing to prove because the only thing that needs to be proved has been proven by Christ on the cross. But there is a path of growth. Peter said, he said, like newborn babes crave, uh, crave pure spiritual milk so that you may grow up in your salvation. My mom, you know how it is when you're trying to clothe kids, especially when you got a house full. You, you might buy shoes with a little wobble room. You might buy a coat that they could wear two winters instead of one. And, um, you know, I remember more than once my mom buying something for me and I just I always loved it, you know. I like getting new clothes. I just loved it. And, but I, they were always a little big. Um, and what she was doing is just, I, I want this to last a little longer than just a season. And uh, she'd, she'd bring me home and put on the coat or whatever it was. And my daddy would say, that's, that's a little big, isn't it? My daddy's, who was a workman, he said, oh, baggy sides and sleeves, you're not going to be able to get any work done. It's a little big. 
And my grandmother, who was so sweet and also so tough at times, she always slapped me in the back and said, oh, he'll grow up into it. He'll grow into it. And loved ones, I want to tell you, every one of us have got to grow up into it. We, we wear his robe. It's not his robe that we've got to grow up into, but it's the Christian life. We've got to grow in grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. The third thing I want you to remember is that there is a danger, or at least I should say a possibility of failure. Um, you know, we, we know that God abides, and we say God made promises to Israel, but you've got to understand God did not make promises to unfaithful Israel. He made promises to the remnant. He made promises to those that will follow him. And we need to be careful that we don't assume all of Israel is in heaven right now. Some are not in heaven because they did not believe. And others are in heaven, but they lost out their inheritance. And they lived under judgment all the days of their life. There's an entire generation that God just waited to die out so he could do what he wanted to do with another generation. We need to understand that even if we go to heaven, there is the danger of losing our inheritance and God not being able to do what he wanted to do. And that's a reality of the Old Testament. It's a reality of the New Testament. We could spend 45 minutes talking about whether Judas was ever really saved or not. But the point I'm trying to make is we need to understand with sobriety that even in the presence of Jesus, a man like Judas could fall away. Um, we need to understand that there is the possibility of judgment. And I believe that judgment on the child of God in the church is usually redemptive. God judges us, God chastises us in order to shake us back to the place that we belong. But we don't want to lose our inheritance. Ananias and Sapphira, they, they were killed in church. I don't, please don't look around. I don't think anything's happening in here. But the thing about Ananias and Sapphira, Peter said, you've not lied to men, you've lied to God. Now, let, let, me, let me say this. Give me 60 seconds and we'll move on. It's one thing to lie to man. There have always been people in church that lied to man. There have always been pastors that lied to man. But when you lie to God, it's a different thing altogether. You say, well, what, what does that mean? You've lied to the Holy Spirit is the phraseology that's used. Loved ones, whenever we come into the presence of God, we can tell a lie. But when we are confronted by the Holy Spirit and we persist in the lie, that's a very serious thing. That's when you cross over from lying to men to lying to the Holy Spirit. And guys, we need to understand that it is a serious thing to come to a church like this or wherever you attend church or to wherever you're listening online, to come to a place where your sin is confronted by the Holy Spirit and then you still resist the word of the Holy Spirit. That's when they stopped lying to man and they started lying to the Holy Spirit. And Peter said, look, you can tell the Holy Spirit is bringing this case against you and you're persisting in your lie. You have lied not to man only, but to the Holy Spirit. We've got to be careful. Paul said that he had delivered Hymenaeus and Alexander over to Satan so that they would learn not to blaspheme. And here's the last thing. The encouragement. Okay, God is faithful. There's a path of growth. There is a danger that we must take seriously. But here is the fourth thing. The encouragement is to endure. The encouragement is to endure. 
The encouragement is to endure. We don't want to focus on the possibility of apostasy. We don't want to focus on the possibility of not gaining our inheritance. We want to focus on the possibility of succeeding because that's what God designs. Your Christian life lessons, beware of professed faith that does not persevere. Beware of somebody just saying, well, I've made a profession of faith and that's all that's needed. That, so, so many times people want release, not relief. I, I mean, relief, not release. And they come to feel better, but we need to beware of a professed faith that does not persevere. Here's number two, take seriously the commands to be vigilant. Be serious about, he said, so if you think you are standing firm, be careful so that you do not fall. Here's number three, commit to community. I, I've spent a little bit of time talking about that. If you're not happy here, if you don't feel that God has brought you here, it's worth the time and effort to find the place where you fit in. And we don't begrudge that. If you were not trying to get rid of anybody, but we're saying that rather than spend your life kicking and bucking because you don't like something about a church, ask God. Don't say, Lord, send me to one that I'll be happy with. That, that, that's another sermon. It's another sermon. But Lord, send me to the place where I will grow. Send me to the place that I will mature. Um, commit to community. And here's the last thing. Understand the New Testament context of vulnerability. Understand that we are in a fight. And your assurance ought to be intact. That is the normal state of being for the Christian is assurance. Okay, we've got to stop. Father, thank you for this day that we've had to talk about this word assurance. Ministry team, would you move into the altar area here? We're asking you to do several things today, Lord, whether it's online or in Brown Chapel or here in the sanctuary. We're asking you to settle the question of assurance for every child of God Maybe they feel that their failure is greater than your grace. Maybe they just, maybe they just carry stuff. Maybe they've, maybe they've got so many consequences from the past. But Lord, move them to a place of assurance that they know they have passed from death to life. If there's anybody here that doesn't have that assurance, and if it's because they're not a Christian, we ask you to let them come forward or call in online or come to a prayer team in the front and say, I'm not, I'm not, I don't have the assurance of my salvation and I want to have that assurance. But Lord, the other thing we want to pray for is there are people that are struggling with circumstances. There are people that are struggling with, with attacks there are people that are struggling with difficulty that nobody perhaps even begins to understand. Things that are so layered and so complicated. Father, we want them to come to you and receive the assurance that the one who began this work will bring it to completion. We ask you to do it in Jesus' name. Would you stand with me, please? Our ministry teams are in the front. They're here to pray for you. You may just want to come and just pray around the front. You may want to stay and pray where you are. You may, if you're listening online, may want to call that number that's on your screen. Let us pray for you. But loved ones, hear me. Whatever you're facing, I know we've covered 40 acres today. And I hope we move some stumps out of the way as we plow. But the bottom line is we want to walk in the assurance that God is God and everything he promised he's going to perform. 
and he gave us his word. God bless you. Please come forward for prayer. Thank you for being here. Join us Wednesday as we consider, uh, continue our Bible studies and ministry to the kids. God bless you. I love you so much. <laughs>